Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for listening on. You could have been anywhere in the world and you decided to spend just a few moments of your precious time and we greatly appreciate it. Here on the podcast, we talk about three things, living a plant-powered lifestyle and enhancing emotional resilience and creating a thriving mindset. And I interview a range of passionate guests such as physicians, dietitians, coaches, entrepreneurs, and many more. And please join me as I deliver these engaging, informative, and high-valued conversations for you. And just remember, the first five seasons of the Thrive Bites podcast can now be found in the new The Chef Doc app, available in your Apple Store and Google Play stores. So what are you waiting for? Come on inside. Hey guys, what's going on? My name is Dr. Colin Zhu, and we have a great episode for you guys. I just interviewed a awesome husband and wife team. They are the co-founders of Bread, a B Corps certified vegan sourdough bakery located in the Ski and Mountain Resort of Whistler, BC, Canada. And we talk about all things bread from the sourdough uh, culture that you know Ed loves, Chef Ed, Ed loves, to what are they doing in terms of the impact locally sourced ingredients to the environment, to social sustainability. You don't want to miss this. It's a great episode and we'll see you guys inside. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. You could have been anywhere in the world, and you decided to join and share some precious moments with us, and we greatly appreciate it. Today, we have a wonderful, wonderful guest um, here onto the show. Actually, two guests. They are a husband and wife team, and they are the co-founders of their bakery called Bread, B-R-E-D. And we'll get into more on the moniker later, but they are a B Corp certified vegan sourdough bakery. And they are located in the premier ski and mountain and bike resort of Whistler, BC, Canada. And it specializes in sourdough loaves and sourdough cinnamon buns, complete with house made vegan cream cheese with a Z frosting. It has many, many, many other types of sweet and savory treats. They are locally sourced, they are seasonally and organically ingredients incorporated, and everything is made in-house. And what's really, really cool about them is that they bake every single day, and they serve all this with their great lineups of roasted espresso coffees and lattes as well. And uh, I can't wait to bring them on to the show. So without further ado, please welcome Ed and Natasha. Hi! Hi, Dr. Colin. How are you? <laughs> Hi, thank you. I'm doing well. I'm doing well, guys. Thank you so much for spending the time, you know, out of your busy day. I would imagine it's very, very busy, you know, running a bakery <laughs> every single day that's open, right? <laughs> yes. If only the days were a bit longer, and then we could fit even more into them. <laughs> oh, great. Well, I'm I'm super excited to talk to you guys. I know you guys have a new book coming out, a new cookbook coming out, but before we get to that. I would like to kind of, you know, take our audience through kind of like the superhero, superheroine origin story, right? You know, how did you guys start from plan A, you know, point B to plan B? And specifically, where were the key moments for you two specifically on, you know, what transformed you or trans uh, transitioned you to becoming vegan on your own? Yes, I mean, I guess the foundations of opening a bakery I've worked in kitchens for 25 years since I was 13 years old, 
always loved food, making food for people. And I guess one of those key moments that you talked about is probably when I was in my mid-20s and came across sourdough, started making sourdough bread for restaurants, just loved the fermentation element that, you know, it's three ingredients, water, flour, and salt. And then we can make this really sort of primitive food group like bread. Everyone eats bread all around the world. We've been eating it for thousands and thousands of years and how you know, it's so basic, but so complex. Every day, I'm still learning something. So that's really one of those key moments. And then fast forward to moving to Whistler, brought that sort of knowledge and everything with me, started making a, a starter for the restaurant I was working at, for our yoga studio, our yoga teacher, Tina James, trading yoga for sourdough, and all the other people in the yoga class smelling this freshly baked bread and asking where they could buy this from. And, and then approaching the restaurant I worked at and saying, you know, can I start this sort of little side hustle, renting mm-hmm. the kitchen space there. We didn't open for lunch, so I was able to use the kitchen in the morning, make all the sourdough and then bake it the following day. And then again, naturally, it just grew. The customers grew. People were talking about it. And, and then they said, you should open a bakery. We want to buy this more often. So and then that led us to having the the brick and mortar bakery that we do today, and that was we opened four and a half years ago. Wow, incredible, Natasha. I grew up basically vegetarian. I didn't like chewing meat as a child, and eventually the adults in my life accepted that and stopped forcing me to eat meat. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I I had a really bad junk food vegetarian diet growing up. Nobody was interested in protein in those days. And to be honest, it was quite inconvenient for um, the families I lived with. I grew up in foster care, so I moved around a lot. And they didn't necessarily care too much about healthy eating. It was just make sure the kids have got food in their bellies, kind of whatever's on the table. A lot of fast food, a lot of French fries. And then it wasn't until I left home and went to university, I had to start learning to cook for myself. I met Ed when I was quite young, I was 20, and he kind of introduced me to eating with the seasons. We kind of ate a very heavy vegetarian diet until I went vegan in 2014. And I basically got it straight away and understood after watching a couple of documentaries, like the terrible effects on our health, on the environment, and then the devastating animal agriculture industry with its cruelty to animals and it's not something I ever want to support again and Mm. once I started to become clued up on all of that I said to Ed I'm vegan now and I actually don't want to live with any animal products in the house and more or less said you know if you love me and you want to live with me like hopefully you'll respect that and at first he was a bit surprised but he did love me and wanted to respect that so We were eating vegan at home and he wasn't vegan out of home because he was working in a fine dining restaurant where they had lots of different animals on the menu. But over time, he eventually went vegan too. And I didn't tell him to go vegan. I just said, this is what I'm doing and this is how I want to live. But uh, yeah, I guess he, he saw the light in the end. So eventually we teamed up and he was making all this bread, as he mentioned, and I was a vice president of a local environmental group that is a kind of voice for the environment, including the wildlife. But I just felt that sitting on a board, 
it was it was good it was necessary but I wanted to do something a little bit more active rather than I felt like I was sitting around talking about stuff and other people would maybe doing it but I wanted to be really involved in like basically something vegan and getting the community to have access to vegan food and we thought that bread was such a great concept because it's inherently vegan most of the time and it brings people in and then when they come in for the bread they see other things in the store they want to try and you know it can be a gateway into into veganism for people just taking that first step to eat maybe a vegan cake which may not be whole foods plant-based but it's the first step in trying something that's 100% plant-based and hopefully it leads people to try more and more plant-based food and just change their perception a little bit of of what it can be. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you thank you for summing, you know, everything up. I got to ask this question to you Ed. So, when Natasha came to you, you know, with that statement, what was your reaction, you know, from it? Because I understand, you know, a lot of restaurants, even the schools that we were trained, you know, it just, there's no like veganism, right? There's no even vegetarianism. It's very one-sided, right? They know what they know and that's taste and that's flavor and that's presentation, right? And you're talking about fine dining, right? So what was your first reaction? Not to make this a a love episode, but (laughs) but what was that reaction? Well, I mean, to to make it easier to understand, I, I grew up, I had health condition with my heart. I had a stent fitted in my aorta when I was 26, just to basically like open up the valve. Obviously, you being a doctor would know lots about stents and things like that, keyhole surgery, and was on a lot of medication for that to start with. Wasn't happy with being on that medication. So we definitely cut down on our dairy. Like Natasha said, we, we ate a heavy vegetarian diet anyway lots of fruits and vegetables at home. So for me, I was like, it started with quite a selfish reason. I was like, okay, this is, if Natasha's going vegan, if I eat vegan at home, this is definitely going to be a good thing for my health. Kept seeing my specialist, the doctor, told them what I was doing. And they said, well, there's no reason we can't start gradually taking you off this medication. All your vitals, everything, like all your checkups are good. I was having like CT scans and all those sorts of things. And eventually came off all my medication. I'm not on anything now and never felt better. You know, I feel like Mm -hmm. at 38, I feel better than I did at 28. So it was, it was pretty easy. Like, like Natasha said, we've been together 20 years. I totally respect her decision. She's very well educated. And what she put to me in the documentaries we were watching, it all made sense. Mm -hmm. So environmentally i was like you know if we only if everyone ate meat once a week you know we wouldn't be in this situation that's how it started but then you know the more you find out the more you you research then sort of animal welfare comes into it and it just grew from there really and i think about a year or so later i went 100 percent vegan as well right right yeah number one thank you for sharing about that and it's when health hits you And it's kind of, this is what I teach my patients all the time is that, you know, we maintain and service our cars Mm -hmm. better than our own bodies. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I use that analogy because you don't service your car when it breaks down, you continuously maintain it, right? You know, I'm sorry that you have to go through that at a much younger age, but in a way it sounded like it was more of a blessing in disguise because it reminded you of your own health and mortality, right? Especially Mm -hmm. with a heart valve, you can just go at any second, 
right? Yeah, it's interesting um, you say that because every, all the other, when I had the stent fitted, the other gentlemen in the ward were, you know, all 70, 80 plus, you know, potentially having a second stent fitted or a pacemaker or something like that. So it definitely was sort of an awakening. I was like, okay, I need to do something about this because even they were confused why I was in the same ward as, as them. Yeah, exactly. And it starts, you know, in my opinion, it starts, you know, with younger, you know, generations being more proactive. And, you know, it, it sounds, I hear like an English accent. You Are you guys both from yeah. the UK? Yeah. And uh, I did an interview with someone from the UK and, you know, it's more of a, you know, a socialized, you know, a system. And so for us, we're, we're just very reactive. As Americans, I wish we did a better job being proactive. And so, so I'm glad that it was a blessing. Shifting gears a little bit, Ed, can you tell me what is it about the sourdough community? You know, just the process of it. If you can give us, you know, in a snippet, why is that in your eyes kind of like the gateway in terms of, you know, bread in general, in terms of maybe towards vegan or plant-based fare? What What is different about it? And what has been your take on it? Because, you know, you can get sourdough, you know, from anywhere, essentially, right? So what has been your inflection, you know, towards it? And what do you want to, you know, kind of uh, make your mark with it? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I've been making it for 15 years, true sourdough. And like you said, you seem to see sourdough everywhere now in the supermarket, you know, these big brands have gotten on to sort of pitching it as sourdough, healthier option. But unfortunately, there is a thing called sour foe where they are putting some live culture in there, but they're also using the commercial yeast and all the preservatives and e-numbers so it stays fresh in your in your pantry for mm. two or three weeks. So it's important as consumers that we read the ingredients on the back of the of the package. And if it has E numbers and, you know, like true sourdough should be flour, water, salt. Sourdough culture is flour and water. If we can afford it, we should always buy organic because that's going to be a healthier option and as much whole grain as possible as well. So we get all the benefits from, from the whole grain, the bran and everything like that, the nutrients. That's what we're looking for. For me, it was it's interesting. Like you said, naturally, it is a vegan product. We all enjoy bread it's been given a bit of a bad rep over the last sort mm. of 20 years but pre sort of the 1940s all bread was sourdough and we've been you know enjoying it for tens of thousands of years they found it in the egyptian tombs for example so it's just it's not just this sort of food element i love the history you know that we have behind bread and different cultures how we make it and like i mentioned earlier sort of always learning I think that's yeah. the driving force for me is always improving. We're in the mountains here, so the air is very dry in the winter and more humid in the summer. So it's always changing sort of the hydration, the amount of water that we yeah. put in the bread, the timings, things like that, and how my sourdough can be different to your sourdough depending on the the bacteria on our hand and things mm. like hands, things like that. That's awesome. Well, thank you for the, for that um, nice summary. Natasha, this question goes for you. When you guys first started, you know, four and a half, about five years ago, and you decided to go towards the route of plant-based, right? And making it a plant-based, you know, a bakery. What were you hoping to achieve at that beginning point? And what have you now achieved? And has it surpassed your expectations? 
Yeah, thanks for asking. What a crazy idea, hey? Like being in a Canadian ski resort and opening a vegan bakery. Like one of my friends said, when she thinks about skiing, it's just fondue and hot chocolate and not the vegan kind. I think people are so surprised that we have a vegan bakery and a ski resort and we're literally at the bottom of the gondola. You can almost ski straight to the bakery. A little no one has crashed into it yet, right? <laughs> well, we, we've had people coming in with oh. snowshoes and all sorts, which if anyone doesn't know what a snowshoe looks like, it's like a huge tennis racket and uh, metal. We get all sorts of crazy things happening in the bakery, which is hilarious. But mm. back to your question, what we wanted to achieve was we wanted there to be more vegan options that are accessible to everyone and not just, you know, when you go to a cafe and you see V in front of something, and you see, oh, that's the vegan option. We wanted everyone to try our vegan options. And when you have a vegan establishment, you don't put vegan in front of everything. Like you walk in our store, you're not going to see like, you know, like a vegan sandwich or vegan cake or vegan this. It's all plant-based. So we don't need to yeah. use the word vegan. And that's because we want to normalize plant-based food. We, I personally don't think that vegans should be the one to have the label. A case in point is with cosmetics and toiletries. I have mm-hmm. to look for a little bunny rabbit saying cruelty free and a V to say this is vegan. But actually, I think if we flipped it and we said this product was tested on monkeys, dogs and cats, for example, people mm. might actually think twice. Do I, is that something I want to buy? Is that something I want to put on my body, in my body? And I think that this is, this is kind of like a, a world I would like to live in where people are a lot more aware of what's going on with animals and plants, how much better they are. You know, everybody eats plants, not everybody eats meat. So I think it's very unifying and I don't like being divisive. So bread, as Ed was saying, is so great because it lures people in and then they want to try other things. So we wanted um, a connection to our community. We wanted a place that is a community bakery that the community love and We have great relationships with many of our locals and semi-locals because we have people in Seattle, people in Washington, people in Vancouver who have holiday homes here. They drive up at the weekend. We know their names. We know their kids. We know their jobs. We know, you know, things about their lives. And we have less and less of that connection these days because everybody tends to be on the Internet, on social media, and we don't have so much human to human interaction it's going through technology so that was important for me and also being a great employer and looking after staff and being the kind of company that I would want to work at but I had never worked at you know I never got given health benefits in my previous jobs I was never given bonuses I wasn't given extended time off in fact I was made to feel like I'd asked for the whole world if I asked to have one day off for my birthday so I wanted to give our staff a better type of employee experience than I had had personally and also be there for the animals and the environment and give back in some way and that's you know we've I feel like we've done all of that and proven that we do that by getting our B Corp certification as well yeah yeah so many comments on this. So number one, you guys are awesome. You know, oh, being that uh, you guys, uh, you know, husband and wife team, you know, sometimes a little bit, you know, when I look at kind of like family and business mixes, you always kind of like, you know, 
like a little bit crossed arms, you know, a little bit from the size. It's, is this really going to work? Right. But you're still here. Right. And I'm sure <laughs> that with any type of, you know, business, there's always like highs and lows. And I think you guys are very, very goal oriented and mission driven. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think, especially for myself and people that I work with, when you realize that it's not just about you, it's about others, it's about your community, it's about the planet that we live in, then the purpose is higher, right? Your call to action, the community you serve is much greater. Yeah, I am also sad to echo what you're saying, Natasha, that we are having less and less of that community. And community is a pillar of health, right? We're very social beings, right? We, we come from different genres of cultures and traditions and beautiful customs and communities and this, you know, beautiful range of diversity. And we learn from each other. You know, Ed, like you're saying, not only are you learning as a individual, as a human being, but, you know, we're all learning, you know, as a group together. So thank you. You know, you guys are, you're doing awesome. So kudos to you. The next question is your last point about the B Corps certification. Can you talk about what that means exactly, what is the process and what does it take to get that certification? And then um, I'll probably ask this uh, in a little bit, but can you define for the audience what that means exactly? So B means benefit and that means that your business has been assessed. If you get a B Corp certification, it means your business has been assessed by a third party, which is B Labs, they're called, and they scrutinize your social and environmental impact by looking at everything from your payroll through to your invoices from your suppliers and their certifications, if they're, for example, organic, right through to, you know, receipts if you've donated to charity. They go through everything, all your paperwork to make sure that what you say you do, you really do. You have to provide evidence. And the way you do this is through something, some type of assessment, the B, B impact assessment. Mm -hmm. And this is free for anybody to take if they have a business. It's a series of questionnaires. It starts off looking at governance. So this is a, a lot about like your policies, staff handbook with, you know, anti-racism policies, uh, maternity leave policies, all of that. That's kind of like the foundation for your business, really. You start off with the governance and each step along the way, when you answer a question, you're awarded points. And there are certain companies that can't get a B Corp certification. Those ones tend to be related to firearms, for example, or fossil fuels, you know, companies that you would really say, like, there is just no possible way that the planet's better for these businesses being there mm. than without them. And I think that is ultimately what B Corp means. It's that your company has proven to have a more positive on the impact on the planet for being there than if it wasn't there. And it's actually quite difficult to get to 80 points. 80 points is the the finish line in the sense that that's when you get the certification, but you are encouraged to keep going beyond that. And the maximum amount of points you can get depends on your company. So it's not exactly the same questionnaire for every company. So for mm -hmm. example, in the beginning, you'll say if you're a small, medium or large enterprise, and then different questionnaires will open up depending on what your answer is. So there'll be certain things that will be more relevant for like a larger corporation than they would a small business. And then when you choose your sector, you know, like we're food and beverage, 
we are manufacturing and retail. So we have certain questions that would open up for us that wouldn't if we were in some other type of industry. The maximum amount of points I think anyone's ever potential had the potential to get would be about 200, but almost nobody has that. They say most businesses that are just kind of mulling along, doing okay without trying, are probably around 50 points. So it takes quite a lot of work to get to 80 points. They look at your workers. They look at how you look after your staff, what benefits, what holidays, what incentives you have for them, the pay scale, you know, how much more money the CEO is paid versus the entry level worker. They look at uh, your raw materials, where you're sourcing them from. They look at your impact. You know, are you a social enterprise? Do you have some sort of sustainable policies? And it can be everything from like, even if you work at home, they'd be like, well, what's your home office look like? You know, where do you get your paper from in your printer? Like they really go through everything. Mm -hmm. And so it's quite an achievement. And some businesses get more points for social impact. There is a local business here that has a lot of bars and they make beer. And Mm. people are surprised that they're also B Corp, but it's because... I know they maybe don't score so Very high environmental, but they yeah, what they do, which gets them lots of points, is they donate donate so much money to local causes. Mm. You know, any athlete needs money for a race, they give them the money. They literally don't say no to anyone. And so, you know, they get lots of points for the giving back socially. Whereas we're probably stronger on how we look after our staff and the environment, the fact that we've eliminated animals from our supply chain so we don't even have to get into the questions about are the eggs that you buy free range or organic you know there's no eggs <laughs> you know yeah. that's just cut out packaging you know using compostable or I guess level 10 would be if you had no packaging at all and things like that so um it's that's why you make everything fresh and every single day <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. so it's it's Free to do the assessment, but once you go through to the certification process, so if you actually want to get the the circle with a B in it, which is the logo that you can put on your front door, you can put on your packaging, on your website, tell every the whole world that you're B Corp, that costs money. And the ma- amount of money it costs depends on the size of your enterprise. So it's always affordable. You don't have to look at a massive company like Patagonia and say, oh, well, they're B Corp, I can't afford that. Because actually, a mum and pop shop like us, we got it, but we yeah. didn't didn't pay as much as like a big corporation yeah. like that. But it's all relative to your revenue, and you have to submit updates on your revenue every year. You are a, a business built for profit, so you're for profit as a business, but you give back and you have, you know, some good impact as well. So you have to prove that you're profitable. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. There, it's uh, I didn't I didn't know. I I've always imagined that it was so rigorous, you know, to obtain one. But the nuances is pretty. And in a way, I think the harder it is to attain, it almost seems like it's inspiring, you know, to want to. Okay, if I didn't pass it the first time, or if I didn't make the grade, right, then I have to do something and change mm-hmm. something in my operations to go towards that. And in a way, reflectively, that makes you know, us and the enterprise that you're, you know, working, you know, better, you know, because that's essentially what you want to showcase to the world. So congratulations for, you know, getting that certification. I don't know how long ago that was, but congratulations. It wasn't too long ago, like a year ago. We finally got the certification 
in 2022, but I'd been working on it since 2021. And I'd already had it in mind that it was going to be something that we should work towards. Because when you say, oh, it's quite a rigorous process, it all depends what your starting point is. And like for us, we were vegan from the get go. We were sourcing as organically as possible. We were trying to do everything right as much as we could. And so for us, it was like, well, you know, this should be quite achievable. But if your baseline, I don't know, maybe if you bought a company that wasn't bothered at all about the environment or social sustainability, if you and you wanted to completely change that, for example, uh, I shouldn't really promote other companies on your show, but something like Nestle have a really bad rep traditionally for certain unethical practices. But they've had to do a real big deep dive into their ways of doing business, become a lot more sustainable. And some of the things that they're doing now, they're almost being seen as leaders in sustainability. And some people can't quite believe that because they remember like adverts in Africa that they were putting out telling Mm -hmm. women not to breastfeed and to buy Nestle milk. And and that, that was probably like the pinnacle of how bad they were. But now they've, you know, they're not doing that anymore and they're doing a lot of really positive things. Mm. And so it depends what your baseline is when when you start to how difficult it is to get the certification. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Hey, guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc, and I just wanted to extend my gratitude and appreciation for you for listening to this episode. We are always looking ways to evolve and give back, and we also understand that a large part of our audiences are our fellow healthcare professionals. And so we've decided that we're going to create continuing medical education for our listeners. And it's not just for doctors. We've partnered with CME Phi to deliver continuing education for not just doctors, but also nurses, nurse practitioners, physicians, associates, pharmacists, dentists, dietitians, and dietetic technicians. This is just another way for you to be able to get continuing education while listening to our great episodes. So how does it work? Basically how it works is there will be a hyperlink provided in the show notes and you click on that and you're given a couple of reflective questions. And once you're done with that, then you are awarded one CE credit per episode. And so basically have at it, have fun, and also gain education as well at a nominal cost. And so thank you again for listening and following Fry Bites podcast. And we greatly appreciate it. And we'll see you on the next one. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Ed, I'm going to shift the questions to you. You had mentioned, you guys had mentioned about seasonality. And um, on your website, you talk a lot about sourcing and sourcing from local producers and people within a certain mile range. From a culinary perspective, especially for baking bread, what differences does it make when you're following the seasons and when you're sourcing? And this is what I talk about with my patients all the time is food miles, you know, mm-hmm. how far something has traveled, right? Mm-hmm. So from a culinary perspective with baking bread, what difference does it make? 
I mean, it's a it's a real passion of mine to to eat with the seasons and support our local farmers because you know, like us, they're small businesses. They work extremely hard, long hours. Um, I was lucky enough because I worked for a farm to table restaurant for just under six years before opening the bakery. I had really good relationships with these farmers. All know them all first name. You know, they would come themselves to deliver the the produce. You know, it'd be text during the week with the fresh sheet to let us know what was coming up so we could plan to put items on the menu. But it's just good to have a, you know, a nice selection of these colours on your on your plate, but also they're just going to taste the best. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the time when we have extra vegetables left, we'll, we'll take them home at the end of the week to, to eat at home. And we're like, they compared to something you might buy in the supermarket, they last in your fridge for much longer as well because they're picked you know the day before they're delivered rather than something you might buy in the supermarket might have been you know two weeks before and then being in the mountains we have to do a lot of preserving so we make jams and compots and things like that so we're able to get the produce at its best and then preserve it and use it for the next sort of month or two so so we still sort of incorporate that into the to the baking but i think with regards to like the flour we buy organic flour organic sugar if you if your raw ingredients are the best that you can afford then that's mm-hmm. going to transfer into your baking into the taste even with all my skills and years of knowledge if you give me a you know an average tasting apple that is just crunchy with no flavor there's nothing mm-hmm. i can do with that Whereas if you give me an organic, locally sourced, you know, picked the day before apple, you really don't need to do too much. You can just let the produce speak for itself. Yeah. You know, the school that I went to at the time, it was a plant forward, health supportive culinary school started in the 70s. The founder was a PhD and she talked about the same thing that you talk about, you know, making sure it's sourced locally, following the traditions of uh, mm-hmm. traditional cuisines, the seasons, all that. Is it health supportive? And I think from a health and well-being point of view, it's, you know, if you are able to eat and nourish your body the right way, right? Mm-hmm. You know, modern agriculture, at least in America, has, you know, evolved, not positively, from my perspective, very negatively, because, you know, an apple, we're using an apple, for example, you know, an apple today is nowhere near the nutritional value of an apple 50 years ago, right? So it's very, very important in terms of the seasons and, you know, following and, you know, locally sourced and minimizing that food mileage. So I appreciate the fact that, you know, you I mean, you've been doing this, so it's secondhand to you, you know, for you know, people that are watching may not have taken that into account, may not have been as mindful of because supermarkets, grocery stores, you can get a fruit from anywhere and it's all season, right? And, and it's there all the time. And so we've kind of gotten displaced or removed from what is actually available at mm-hmm. certain seasons and what are not available, right? So we've made it normal that you could have something all the time. Totally. Yeah, I mean, strawberries, for example, buy strawberries all year round, you know. They come from Mexico or California or these sorts of places. But, you know, for us, where we are in the mountains, it's literally for July and that's it, that you can get local strawberries, (laughs) which is a shame. But it it almost makes you enjoy them even more when they do come back round. So Mm. I feel like 
we don't want to eat root vegetables all the time and it is good to have a, a balance but that's mm-hmm. where preserving can come in and you can sort of like you know pickle things or ferment things or make compots and store them you know on your shelf you can lock in that flavor and that nutrients as well so yeah yeah i think it's just sort of like doing some reading talking to your local you know farmers or 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 even a local market and seeing asking them what's just come in or exactly we're really big on personally is we love sprouting seeds so Mm -hmm. i'll often have in the freezer big bags of broccoli sprout seeds and alfalfa and other different types of seeds that I'll put in a jar and sprout for a few days Um, and then that way you can get you know fresh salad greens throughout the winter it's very very economical I mean if you buy these things in the store they're quite expensive like five six seven dollars for a plastic punnet but and I don't like buying them in the store because they have a very short shelf life and they'll often smell a bit funky I don't like that but if you do it at home get them fresh from the jar yeah exactly and if they are going funky because you left them too long by accident you just throw them out and start a new batch and it's it's, you know it's not great to throw food out but it's a lot cheaper to throw those out than if you were buying them from the store so that's something that uh ed incorporates into the bakery because he sprouts grains and adds those to the loaves as well and so sprouting is something that we're really passionate about because it makes organic fresh live produce accessible and if you've got sprouts and there's a in your freezer and there's a snowstorm or I don't know a pandemic or anything that stops you getting fresh produce delivered to your door Mm -hmm. not to worry you've got your own supply ready to go so we're big advocates of sprouts and as you probably know being a plant-based forward doctor you can get unlock a lot more nutrients as well when you sprout say broccoli seeds compared to you know eating broccoli as a mature vegetable yeah no for sure i think that's a it goes a long way when you can leverage different types of methods and this is what's so beautiful about you know to not necessarily do things outside of the box but you know when you're cooking you know you know and and you're chefing you're essentially an artist of you know food form and so being able to leverage these types of other techniques to lock in flavor to preserve right and still maintain somewhat of that seasonality i think is is great you know it just allows us to say like oh there's an obstacle there's a challenge oh guess what? I'm going to go around this and think of other ways to circumvent it. Like you said, Natasha, about sprouting and whatever pandemic happens, you know, which at this point you're like, yeah, why not? (laughs) It's already happened. So (laughs) why not? So I want to touch base. I'm just looking at time. I just want to touch base really quickly because it's such a huge point. And Natasha, you had talked about sitting on a, I don't know if you still sit on it, but um, the wildlife board and organization about your environmental policies. And when I looked at your website, it was very, very impressive. What is the message that you want to convey to your audience when you have policies, you know, like that set? Like, what is the, what is the goal of that? It ultimately all comes back to me leading a vegan lifestyle that wants to eliminate as much as possible the cruelty and suffering to other sentient beings. And I see that the planet and the animals and ourselves, we are all interconnected, you know, like the land produces better quality soils and vegetables when the animals are there. 
to fertilize it and i'm not talking about you know making fertilizers out of you know factory farmed animals or anything but just having natural ecosystems like we're very fortunate here in Worcester we have a, a, an abundant population of black bears and um, there's certain plants and natural things that will grow here because we have those animals here that you wouldn't find somewhere else so I'm very much into sort of spreading this message of living a life that's a bit more in harmony with the environment but the reason why you saw all the policies on our website written out is because that's actually mandated as part of our b corp assessment is that we have to have these policies and make them publicly available so you kind of have to be loud and proud about what you're doing when you're doing stuff that's good for the environment a lot of people have heard the term greenwashing where people Mm -hmm. say they're doing something good but they're actually not There's another term that people are perhaps less familiar with, and that's green blushing. And green blushing is when you're doing good things, but you're embarrassed to talk about them because you don't want to be accused of greenwashing. And that's a problem because what we should be doing is inspiring other people to, you know, do the right thing and not be nervous about kind of being loud and proud about it. Yeah, that's something I learned about on the B Corp journey is green blushing. And so anything that we do that's good for the environment or the animals, we're going to tell you about it. And if we were ever to make a mistake and, you know, for example, um, we use a lot of uh, compostable, well, all of our packaging at the bakery is compostable. And that's usually a recycled paper bag for your bread. But there is some bioplastic. We were kind of encouraged to use that over plastic because it was plant-based but now actually we're seeing that there are some bans coming into effect that this bioplastic is not as great for the environment as as we were told it was Mm. Um, and so perhaps we were promoting the fact that we use bioplastic and now we put our hands up and say oh we've learned that that's actually quite bad and and so we could be embarrassed to say, oh, God, you know, I was telling everyone I was using bioplastic and now I look really silly. But it's also being honest and just saying, hey, like we've learned more now. We're, yeah. we're doing more now and we're able to get these other things that are better and having that conversation and, and not sort of shying away from it. So I think that's kind of why we talk about our environmental policies so so openly. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. And I think it just goes back the transparency, you know, you know, maintaining that B Corp, you know, is asking you to be more upfront. And but what I hear, you know, kind of like an answer to what you're saying about green blushing is just be loud and be proud, right? So, you know, you guys in your own experiences have done so much in terms of different, you know, Ed working with food and Natasha working with the community and the animals. And so the combination is really saying to everyone like, hey, you know, we're doing it in our own way. And interconnectedly, we want to make sure that it benefits everyone, you know, in this ripple effect. And that message is saying, you know what, Maybe, maybe not, you know, you may want to think about, you know, doing something, you know, for, you know, yourself. And so off of that, you know, for the two of you, if we had any type of like plant-based bakers or bakeries that, you know, haven't started yet, what are some key takeaways that you've learned so far that, you know, if you had to like take a time machine and go back and say to yourself, what would I not do? And, uh, you know, some tips that you can share. I think it's it's 
with all baking and cooking, not to be disheartened when go, things go wrong and they don't work. It does take a lot of trial and error. Even though, obviously, on social media, we see all these beautiful, like, finished products, there's a lot of sort of R&D that goes into that. So I think it's sort of trying to stay positive and stay focused on the mission. Our mission is to be a vegan plant-based bakery, so that gets us out of bed every day. It's hard work. Again, having a mission and a vision is very important to stay on track. Keeping it simple, not having, like, a huge, huge menu to choose from, just sort of steadily build you know the the amount of items that you're making you know for us it's a relatively small menu and we've just gradually added items to that depending on how many staff we have available to keep the quality consistent so when people come in they now trust us that if there's a new item on you know we had a lady a couple of weeks ago she's like i've never tried it but i know whatever it will be will be great because all of your stuff is great which is amazing to hear so Mm -hmm. we've built trust with our community word of mouth is so strong that you know we get a lot of people that don't you know older generation don't use social media so they've been told by a neighbor or a friend to come and check us out so yeah i think that's a few tips plant-based baking is more shelf stable we use for one of our egg replacements, you'll see in our cookbook is often flax, flaxseed. Flax mm-hmm. contains lots of omega, which is similar to chicken's egg. And so it has a lot of similar properties to an egg in that it combined ingredients together. So it's great for cakes and things. And if you can just keep flax seeds in your cupboard and blend them to a powder when you're ready to use them to mix with water or plant milk to make an egg-like binding paste should we say? Mm-hmm. Whereas eggs, as you know, they're delicate, they're fragile. You might buy some at the store, get home, you've already broken one and mm-hmm. they go off quite quickly. And we, this really um, was an advantage to us. Back in 2020, when there was a lockdown for COVID-19, a lot of the cafes were trying to get rid of all their cow's milk because they were shut down. And mm-hmm. our um, plant-based milk stayed in the fridge until we were ready to reopen and use it. It had a much longer shelf life on it. Mm-hmm. We didn't have to throw anything away because we were using plant-based ingredients and not animal-based ones. And the price of animal-based ingredients is going up a lot now because the price of everything is going up and the animals need a lot of plants to feed them. So if you can mm-hmm. cut out the animals and just go straight to the plants, in effect, it's, it's a much cheaper route. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And that's an entirely different episode, you know, and the <laughs> amount of, the amount of input <laughs> for these animals, right? The amount of land use water use. And uh, from a doctor's perspective, you know, not many people know that in in America, majority of the antibiotics that we manufacture actually goes towards animal agriculture. So you just learn so much, but you just got to keep learning, right, Ed? (laughs) Never stop. So the last bit that I want to ask you guys, you have a beautiful cookbook that's going to come out. Number one, when is it coming out? Number two, what is the goal you know, what was the goal of, you know, writing this cookbook for yourselves? You know, number three, what is your favorite recipe from it? Good question. So the book comes out on November the 7th this year. So just in time for Christmas, it makes a great gift for family and friends. And we all love baking at this time of year, you know, in the fall, winter. So there's some really nice festive recipes in there. The mission of the book was to share our bakery, essentially, with with the world you know not many people can 
come to Canada to come to Whistler to to experience the bakery. So it's almost bringing our bakery into everyone's home kitchens. So there's all the classics that we do at the the bakery and that we're known for, like sourdough cinnamon buns, cream cheese frosting, carrot cake, chocolate cookies. Not lots of naughty um, things. So there's it's not even though it's called bread, it's not just bread, even though we have, you know, lots of fun things. That was one of the great things about writing the book. At the bakery, we have to, you know, think how we're going to package it. How's it going to store? You know, how people are going to eat this? Whereas with the book, it was 100 recipes. You can make what you want. So, you know, we could make a, a New York style baked cheesecake or, you know, chai spice donuts, pumpkin donuts filled with cranberry and raspberry jam. You know, I'm in California. We love donuts. So, well, yeah, me too. <laughs> definitely. Um, who doesn't like donuts? <laughs> we don't make them at the bakery, though, because it's not, you know, we might not be as so. We'd need a, we need a wider We screen. might not be such great advertisements for vegans <laughs> if we had a donut. You could just fire. be successful with just, I don't know if you guys have been to California, but oh, yes. they're literally in Los Angeles. There is almost like a donut shop. Almost in every strip mall and every you know shopping yeah. center, it's oh my gosh. you know it's yeah. uh, it's crazy. It's a treat so. for us. It's a treat for us. We don't we don't indulge that often. There's lots of healthy breads in there and things like that. There's savory options in there as well, and lots of there's a whole chapter on gluten free things, and there's a whole chapter on dips and accompaniments to bread. So that you there's spreads and things like that that you can have with bread on bread. There's discard recipes from feeding your sourdough starter. We don't like food waste. That's another whole episode for you there, Dr. Sue's food waste. And the industry average for bakeries and restaurants is about 30% of the food that we produce is wasted. And at the same time, about 30% of the people around the world that are food hungry, there's about 30% of the human population. So there's definitely like some, some other issues that we're trying to portray through our baking. Yeah, so it's not it's not just recipes in the book. It's kind of our ethos as well, and that's why we wrote the book together. So everything that we bring and put across on our website and everything we try to put into the book as well about plant-based eating and the, the health benefits of that. I think one of my favorite recipes I was thinking about earlier was the focaccia. Such a simple bread, but so good to tear and share, and it's like light and fluffy, and it's mm-hmm. fermented for a long time. So it's really good for you. How about you, Tash? I mean, I like so many of the recipes, but one of my favorite breads that's in the book is a five-seeded rye loaf. So it's a whole grain sourdough. It's very traditional to eat this bread in Germany and Scandinavia. And it's just basically rye, water, a little bit of sea salt, and then the five seeds that we use, fully fermented wild yeast like all of our sourdoughs and I love to have that in the fall at this time of year we love to go foraging for local mushrooms chanterelles pines and have those on the rye toast that's like phenomenal that's one of my favorite things to eat super (laughs) cool I'm just I, I I'm not much into skiing. I think I would just do a trip just to visit you two. So <laughs> Most of it, I mean we have great hiking and biking. There's you know there beautiful you lakes in Whistler, so you can sort of get on a paddleboard or a kayak. It's it really is a sort of all year round. There's there's something for everyone. 
I love it. I love it. Well, I'll definitely take take you guys up uh, for it in the future. Is there any last uh, words or anything called to action, anything that you want to let our audience know before we conclude? You guys have been wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time out. And thank you for your mission, your mission-driven way of serving your community, you know, both locally and abroad with your book. Last takeaways from the book, by the book and also, if you have any questions about making sourdough, if you've never made it before, or you're having some issues with your starter or anything else that's kind of in the book, then please feel free to DM us on Instagram. And we're always trying to respond to everybody and help them as much as possible as well, because we do truly want everybody to understand about good food and mm-hmm. bake plant based as well. Yeah, so the, the handle is Ed's underscore bread, B-R-E-D, nice. Paul nice. Manzo nice. of my name. <laughs> <laughs> I love how his name is in the word. I just love yeah. it. Yeah, that's why <laughs> Because it's, it's so much about brand marketing, you know, yeah. this is great. So, Ed, do you have a sourdough course? We don't like have an a online course. course? No, not, not yet, but it's something definitely we, mm. we could be working on in the future, moving more towards YouTube and sort of longer longer content and videos so it's definitely something now we sort of got through the the cookbook that's that's next yeah. maybe 2024 that's uh, yeah. on the agenda because like we said we just want to spread the word and help people bake plant-based for sure for sure well guys thank you so much for taking the time out i've really enjoyed this episode and really chatting with you guys and it's really great to meet lovely couples like yourself that are doing so well together and just making a statement loud and proud right for that community and abroad so guys thank you so much for watching another episode if you like this please like share and subscribe and if you felt like this was a benefit for someone else please let them know and until then please say goodbye to ed and natasha Thank you, Dr. Colin, and thank you to you as well for being a doctor who's actually advocating the power of plants because we know from Ed's health journey that a lot of doctors are not interested or don't want to admit the benefits. The doctors in Vancouver, they always say to Ed, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And he always says, well, I'm vegan. And they're always like, yeah, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. That's what he's doing. you know, to come off all the medicines and not need any extra surgeries. You know, he's just walking evidence of the power of plants. So thank you to you, Dr. Colin, for having this podcast as well and sharing that message. I appreciate that. It's really about leaning by example. And if it's, you know, you can't rely on someone else then you got to rely on yourself. So I thank you so much for that feedback. Thank you so much. You have a good day. Hey guys, we hope you enjoy that episode. If you like that, please like, comment, and subscribe. And uh, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. And if you felt that this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And also remember that the first five seasons, 150 episodes, now can be seen and heard on our new The Chef Doc app. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating and we greatly appreciate it. So, and we'll see you on the next one.